We're exploring the concept of cognitive automation. I'm delighted to speak with two gentlemen who will explain these concepts and what they mean for business. Fred, tell us briefly about Era Technology. We build the technology that enables uh, self-driving enterprise. I'll speak more about what it is, but it's fundamentally a, a cognitive operating system. I'm being a bit jargony here, but a system that automates how decisions are made and executed uh, primarily in large organizations. And David, tell us about your background and what you're doing. My background is executive director for what's called the People-Centered Internet Coalition. Uh, we strive to uh, do projects that demonstrate how the internet can be used to make a measurable improvement in people's lives. I'm also faculty at Singularity University, uh, focusing on impact and disruption, as well as senior fellow at what's called the Institute for Human Machine Cognition. David, automated cognition. What are we talking about, human plus machine? Just set the landscape for us. The term artificial intelligence, which right now has been used a lot in the last few years, we need to recognize a longer history, that this is really the third wave of AI. The first wave of AI occurred about 40 to 50 years ago when Herb Simon was using it to demonstrate how machines could help solve with games and they could actually solve those problems. Then about 20 to 30 years later, it was actually then being used to actually solve what was called expert systems in the 1970s and 1980s, decision support systems. And then finally, now in this third wave, we're looking at sort of the idea of neural networks, deep learning, the idea that what the machine can really do is begin to sort of pattern match what a human would typically do at a much higher volume and a much higher scale than would be possible if a human was to do it by themselves. This then now gets to the idea of sort of augmenting what a human does as a way of pairing the human with the machine so that the human is learning from the machine and at the same time the machine is learning from the human and together you're getting better outcomes from them both. We're moving from an era of people are doing the work supported by computer systems to an era where actually computers are doing a lot of the, of the work, of the thinking that is required to make a decision uh, and controlled by the humans, and it's becoming a, a reality. So people doing the work supported by computers to computers doing the work controlled by people. And that's really the result of the acceleration at which decisions have to be made, the increased level of accuracy, the increased level of, of complexity that's surrounding all the the, the companies that, that, you know, they're facing complex challenges uh, and people organized in network are just not uh, efficient enough to decide uh, in real time with the right level of accuracy. And this is where, you know, cognitive augmentation uh, comes in the game. And as uh, uh, David said, you know, it's a very interesting process where the algorithm are getting enriched by the decisions that humans are making and vice versa. So we have a, we have a closed loop uh, solution here. But Fred, how is this different from computing in the past, computing doing work for people? Think about it as moving from an era where, you know, users would log into a software and get the computers to actually process some computation, push data up and down, forward, and so on and so forth, to having a system that's completely autonomous. We're digitizing the process of driving. Well, here, in the, that's the same difference that you see when you're digitizing the decision-making process in an organization. You have a, a, a hands-free system that is actually able to process the data, analyze it, come up with the recommendation, potentially go to a user's for control, or in some cases, automatically, in a touchless manner, uh, uh, execute that recommendation or that decision. So moving from, as I said before, 
people getting involved in every decision to actually a touchless you know, planning, a touchless forecasting, inventory optimization, all these kind of use cases that required people that are not can be uh, run completely autonomously. So David, this, this idea of autonomous, is that the crucial dimension, the crucial element that makes these technologies and the impact different from computing in the past? So I think it's a dimension, and you can think about systems that are fully autonomous. You can also think about some that are partially autonomous. It's also the dimension, though, of just the sheer amount of data that you're able to process now as a result of advances in terms of cloud computing, edge computing, that just were not possible in the past. So the ability to process massive amount of data in real time at a reasonable cost is what really enabled uh, that uh, the digitization of the decision-making process. So computing infrastructure kind of set the stage, but it's the data that brings it to life. Would that be an accurate way of describing it? I'm gonna make your analogy even a little bit more complex. So we've talked about two dimensions so far, Michael. There is a third, if you can imagine a 3D graph. The third dimension is the increasing what would be called instrumentation of the planet. Uh, with the Internet of Things, especially the industrial Internet of Things, although the commercial IoT is, is slowly picking up, especially with voice-activated devices, with small satellites, we are now at a point in which the ability to actually receive the data from the infrastructure is now conceivable where you can have this augmented intelligence occur. And so it's both the automation, it's both the Internet scale computing power, and then it's just simply the ability that we are increasingly instrumenting the planet. Now, there's some cautions that come with that. Uh, in some cases, there's a risk of becoming either a surveillance state or surveillance capitalism, as some might say, if we're not careful. But this also allows organizations to begin to actually be smarter about how they operate and have this augmented intelligence applied to their processes. Fred, so we've got this infrastructure and the pieces with that you've both just been describing. What then is the impact, the impact on people, the impact on organizations, sustainability, even the environment and energy? Yeah, it's a very good question. It's very interesting. When started in that, that journey, we were really exclusively looking at the impact on work. Oh, we're going to be able to automate a lot of decisions. We're going to be able to augment uh, the decision-making capabilities on some very complex problems. And you have to think about it in the context of very large organizations that are being uh, profoundly disrupted by, by you know, the e-commerce giants, as an example. So we thought about the impact on the business, on performance. Um, we thought about the business on the, the work and how people actually value their time at work. They, they sit inside this very large pyramid, in, in the case of the corporation, and, and part of their value is knowing how to work the system, uh, how, how to actually operationalize a decision, and so on and so forth. So all of that gets digitized. Where is the value left? Uh, and, and how do you create additional value for yourself? How do you monetize your subject matter expertise and your time at work? So that was the initial angle when we started in that journey. But more and more uh, talking with our clients, we realized that the impact you know, is on, on waste. We're actually cutting waste in the entire supply chain. We're optimizing how decisions are made and our trucks basically hit the road and very pragmatically how we're consuming, you know, energy and raw resources. So uh, the impact of that cognitive automation enabling companies to make better, faster decisions closer to the point of impact. To David's point, there still need to be humans in the mix. There's still some corner cases that are not being 
properly addressed by data or by uh, cognitive automation. But in, in some cases, we can actually run better, faster decisions uh, with a massive impact on, on the environment, resource consumptions, and, and of course, on, on, the, on the way work is being done. So the, the organization design, uh, we can, we can you know, foresee in the next few years, that's gonna fundamentally change from, from those very large organization, pyramidal structure, to a, to a network of, of smaller groups that will be tightly connected with the ability to measure the impact of a decision on the different metrics in real time. So I think you'll see a deconstruction of the large organizations, the way they're actually structured. You'll see an impact on the way people work, and you'll get, of course, an impact on the, on the environment in general. Fred, can you give us an example? You work with lots of customers. Can you give us an example of how, how this goes beyond efficiency? Where does this you know, human plus machine create something that we could not do before? We have a platform on top of which we build different skills. And one of the skills we built is called Perfect Forecast. And what it basically did um, is it's now proven that it's delivering uh, the right forecast um, uh, for our client, which means what? If you know exactly what you need to manufacture uh, because that's the right number that you're going to sell, think about the savings across the value chain, right? From, man, from sourcing to manufacturing to, uh, uh, to the entire supply chain. So delivering the perfect forecast is actually the key to a massive amount of savings. I'll give you another, another uh, example around promotion planning. If you think about the way this process was done in the past, uh, people would build their promotion plan and roll them out once a year, twice a year, uh, and it would take a while for that to impact and hit the stores. Uh, but you have now consumers walking in the stores with their cell phone, being able to check online coupons, and their behavior, the way they're actually consuming, has completely changed. So you have a complete disconnect between what the organizations could do in terms of planning their promotions, which drives, in some cases, 50% of their, their sale, and the way consumers are actually uh, you know, uh, buying stuff today. So uh, cognitive automation enabled uh, these companies to actually plan their promotions quasi-real-time with end-to-end -end visibility in their supply chain, understanding the demand and matching the two. It's their answer, so to speak, to uh, the e-commerce giants who have really built their success on incredibly uh, sophisticated consumer analytics and very agile supply chain. David, so it sounds like these, we're not talking science fiction here. There are actual use cases today of these systems having a dramatic impact in, in many different areas. Yes, and, and in fact, Fred's example that he gave of the, uh, the shopping situation where maybe you're either going to a grocery store or you're going to a clothing store, that's something that's only possible now, and it's happening now, because you do have sensors and devices in the store that are monitoring where the different customers are going. Maybe you're dwelling for an extra long time at the vegetable aisle, and so then you could actually push to the customer specifically and say, would you be interested if there's a special deal on broccoli or on lettuce, whatever you're actually looking at right then and there, and it's targeted just to you, and that's only possible because of the speed that's possible that looks at your pattern of buying behaviors, looks at what you're interested in, and delivers it to you if you've given consent to receive that targeted advertisement. Same thing for shopping. 
Another example that also Fred mentioned too is supply chains. That up until now, supply chains were kind of something that was, you had different sort of checkpoints along the way, but you didn't have real-time visibility into the location and the timing of both things that you had and things that you might need to have based on forecasts. And you can actually begin to see how weather might impact buying behavior, how weather might impact delivery behaviors. And so again, this is the idea that what really is happening is it's augmenting the intelligence of the organization relative to how it engages both its human assets as workers as well as how it interacts with humans as customers such that it's bringing together both internet scale assessments of data it brings together the sensors themselves that are bringing in this information and then producing a result that is not just about more efficiency but also about either more effectiveness or more delivery of information or offering of services that are tailored to that individual and again, this then raises questions about terms of ethics, thinking about, well, when do we want our data used for this purpose? When do we want to actually have the sensors being aware of what we're doing in our buying behaviors? And these are huge questions to make sure that we're doing it with choice and consent going forward, as opposed to people that may not be aware of it and may not necessarily buy into having their data used for that purpose. Fred, as you talk with your customers, to what extent do they appreciate or recognize the extent of the implications for the extent of change that it may bring to their business as well as their industry and competitors? We talk to a lot of customers. The first thing I would say is that debate that we're having right now is a true C-level discussion. Uh, we're engaging with the, the, the CIOs, the CEOs of some of the largest companies in the world uh, around that topic. And I think they intuitively know uh, that the, the way they organize and the way decisions are being made in, in their organization is not sufficient anymore. So there is, a, there is a drive for change. There is an impending event. When we launched ERA a couple of years ago, I was like, are we out there? And the answer is no. The answer from these execs is more like, where have you been? We've been waiting for a new set of tools, the way decisions are made has not really fundamentally evolved. We've got better collaboration tools, we've got better spreadsheets, we've got better planning tools that allows us to compute faster, but, but, but the organization has not evolved. It's the first time with really the concept of augmentation and automation that we're seeing um, a leapfrog, you know, a, a step change uh, in, in the way um, uh, the, the organizations are, are deciding uh, on very simple, very pragmatic stuff on supply chains and manufacturing and the way they sell, as we discussed earlier. So it, it's going to change uh, the, the business model and the organizations very profoundly in the next few years. David, let's shift gears a little here and talk about the technology. So we hear about machine learning, we hear about deep learning, we hear about neural nets, I mean, all kinds of different terminologies that I think most people don't understand. Where does the technology fit into play, into, into this picture? How important is the technology relative to all of these other pieces, the algorithms, the data, the computer hardware, and then eventually the outcomes that a business person or a person in society experiences? Right. So... The reality is the, the actual techniques that are being used, whether it's deep learning versus neural networks or something such as that, that is actually less important than really three things. First is the data and the data that's being used to sort of drive the automated decision making. If you know the, the old adage in computer science is garbage in, garbage out. If the data doesn't have the robustness and diversity necessary to answer the questions as to whatever 
direction or process you're trying to drive, then it's not going to be sufficient. The second, though, is of course in the sensors or how you're acquiring the data. If the sensors either are missing something or are not accurately pointed in the right direction or are not, not adequate enough to provide the data that you need, then you will fall behind as well. And then finally, it really is thinking about how your organization changes how it operates. Uh, I think oftentimes we miss how old legacy technologies can become a source of ossification for organization, not just because they're old and falling behind in terms of technology capability, but because organizations often instantiate their processes in their legacy technologies. And if that process itself needs to change, just moving to a newer technology and not changing that process will pull the organization further behind. And so what makes this really interesting at the end of the day is the feedback loops that occur between the data, how you're collecting the data through your sensors, and how the organization itself responds as a result of what the data is informing you to do next. And if you have that cycle of feedback loops, the actual implementations, the nice thing is you can rely on someone else to help make that happen. But you've got to have those three things in key and then actually have that quicker feedback loop so you can be responsive enough to adapt. Now again, going back to the idea of this, this exploration versus exploitation happening in organizations, I think what Fred said a little bit earlier is absolutely right, that the nature of how organizations themselves are structured is fundamentally going to change. That we organize in the past with hierarchies, hierarchies are absolutely the wrong thing to have for this type of environment because they're very good at efficiency and repetition across the different organizational units, but that's the last thing you want because you actually want things to be fluid and adapt as necessary, which a hierarchy is not conducive of. So it's really going to be interesting to see where we go next with how organizations reshape themselves. The three pillars that you've just described are spot on. What I would say is um, if you want to get to a cognitive automation or augmentation, you need an end-to-end -end system. The algorithm that you just uh, positioned in your question are just a part of it. The closed loop that David described is, is exactly right. Think about it as, again, you go back to my self-driving car analogy, having a set of sensors and lighters and GPS, all of that sitting there on, the, on your dashboard is not enough. You have to make it work together. You have to make it work in real time. And the ability to actually process all this data coming from inside the organization through the ERPs and the other transactional systems and outside, the ability to process that data in real time so that you go to the users with a, a proper recommendation to take an action, get the feedback from the users and, and automate the execution. That's, that, that's the problem that we've, uh, we, we've set ourselves to resolve, which is really creating this end-to-end -end system. That's why we call that a cognitive operating system and not just a single piece of software. David, Fred was just talking about changes, and, and you were as well, changes to organizations. This brings up this accountability and ethics set of questions that have been kind of lurking in the background throughout this entire discussion. So David, you want to tee that up for us? Why, why accountability? Why ethics? Why is it so important today? Sure. So I think with the term accountability, that can be a loaded term, but it's really saying, you know, if you're gonna start relying on this interplay between data sensors and, the, and, and what the organization actually does and that feedback loop, you have to think about in terms of accountability in terms of one, 
who in the organization is responsible for making sure what the machine is doing in an automated fashion is appropriate and is right both for the company as well as for whatever customers or members of the public that it's interacting with. There's another pillar though too. The second pillar is thinking about if you're interacting with customers or members of the public, have they, have they, are they aware that they are, they're either giving their data to the sensors or are they aware that they are being serviced in this fashion? Because some may actually object to that or may have qualms about that and so it's, it's sort of the, the choice mechanisms that go with that. And I think what you're going to see is right now that the first four A's with augmented intelligence are going to be in areas in which it's a little less controversial that it doesn't actually sort of begin to impede too much into your life, but it is things like supply chains behind the scenes to make sure what gets delivered is what needs to get delivered. And then finally, the third leg as you look forward to this is really thinking about what is the future of, of, of human autonomy in the midst of all this? Whether you're a human worker, whether you're a human customer, do you have any autonomy? Hopefully you do. But what does that mean relative to all the things that are happening in terms of automation and augmented intelligence? And in terms of ethics, well, ethics is simply the, the socially accepted normative practices that we see that are appropriate here. And we've seen changes before. I mean, the idea of privacy really is actually a 20th century idea that came about. It did not exist, say, in the 1600s or the 1700s. And so there may be other ethics that start to arise that involve this, and ideally thinking about what we can do to uplift as many people as possible through what augmented intelligence provides. That, I think, is an obligation of CEOs, of organizations, and of the public as a whole. What advice do you have for people in business, for policymakers, for other constituency or stakeholder groups, which is basically all of us. So David, final thoughts on this. My answer is they should have started paying attention to these trends about a year or two ago. Because those companies that start to invest right now in thinking about how they're going to use data to drive decisions, thinking about how they're going to actually begin to instrument, whether it's their supply chain, whether it's what they're doing in their stores, if you don't put in place the investments in the sensors, then you're not going to be able to have that first mover advantage as this rolls forward. And it is rolling forward now. And so that, that's the first idea is start to be hungry, start to explore the space and see what's out there. This is dramatic change in a very small period of time. It's not gonna be like the 100 years that happened with the Industrial Revolution. It's gonna be happening so fast that we're gonna to have to figure out ways to do both governance as well as organization and thinking about what companies do and thinking about how communities do too. Uh, that's gonna to have to happen in parallel as we move forward together and it's gonna require looks across multiple sectors to try and figure out the best way to move forward because not only will it be those companies that do and do this first that will succeed, it'll also be those countries that do this first will have that first mover advantage as well. And then finally, at the end of the day, it really is about doing this to free the human to do more of the creative work, not the rote work, not the repetitive work. And so we need to make sure in this midst of this whole conversation where we are talking about augmenting intelligence and making organizations operate smartly, think about what we can do to also embrace that human spirit and uplift humans so they can either have more time to do more creative work, more of the in-depth problem solving, more of the in-depth why is this occurring, or also thinking about how they can give back to society in other ways as well as we go forward to this and that it's not going to be necessarily something that means humans don't still have value and purpose. But I think that's going to be a seismic shift because so much of our jobs right now will probably eventually be displaced by this. And we have to start having the conversations now about what does it mean to be human in this era, have a sense of purpose, and actually be a member of society as well. Wow. That was a lot of, uh, a lot of good information, a lot of insight. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Fred Lalouio, thank you so much. You're CEO of Era Technology, and thank you for taking time to be with us. 
Thank you very much, Michael. Really appreciate it. And David Bray, Executive Director of People-Centered Internet, thank you as well.